and then, then there was one for rice. And the cauldrons were there, but they were just turned over. And so the old man said, I'm going to get some, uh, some rice and some food. You clean the cauldron and get some water in it, and we'll start a fire. So the young man said, yeah. And he um, cleaned the cauldron. And he put, went, had to go down to the stream and he put sand in it, water, really scrubbed it inside and outside because it was really gross. And then he got another pa pan from the horn and he put water in it. And he put the water just so it was just the right, it was all the way around about three inches down. And then he came and Set it down carefully. That's pretty heavy for him. And he looked around for the old master who had put some food in the hole and it was outside chewing on a piece of grass, just sitting in the grass. And uh, he said, Master, Master, come, see, I fixed the cauldron. So the uh, old master, I go, he comes in, he really looks at the cauldron. And, and he really looks at the young man, too. And he says to him, wonderful, wonderful. You've done a really wonderful job. And he kicks it over. Mm -hmm. Do it again. And the young man's really startled because he worked hard at that. And then he looked around and he thought, well, maybe Master thinks the whole place needs to be cleaned up. So I'll get rid of the cobwebs. So he made himself a brush broom, and he went around and got the cobwebs down and did a little sweeping with it. And then he went and got the cauldron again and took it down to the creek and carefully cleaned it again, filled it, and brought it back, carefully placed it. And the old master has gone back to chewing grass. So, master, master, come see, I fixed him. So again now, the old man comes in, and he looks very carefully. And he really looks at the young man, too. Like it's reading him. And he says, wonderful, wonderful, really wonderful. And he kicks it over. Do it again. <laughs> So the young man is getting um, just a little irritated, not too much. So he looks around and he says, well, obviously the master sees this whole kitchen needs to be cleaned. So I'll, he um, starts to work on the utensils that are disheveled and around, and he gets them on shelves. and. He works a little bit to clean the hoan, the actual the stove in the hoan, where they will start a fire. And he again fills the cauldron. This is taking some time. He's a little um, irritated. And so then he, this final time, this time, he gets the cauldron on and he calls the old monk again, Master, Master, come and see, I fixed it. 
come, this time. So the master oh, nods, he gets up, just slowly walks in, not excited at all. He looks at it, again very carefully, just the way he had. And then he looks at the young man. And you guessed it. He said, wonderful, wonderful. You've done a wonderful job. And he kicks it over again. <laughs> so this goes on. <laughs> this goes on. And finally, this horn is getting immaculately clean, and the cauldron is continually kicked over. And when it's the eighth time, and the master kicks it down, he, he says to himself, oh my gosh, I've really followed the wrong guy. <laughs> this guy is crazy. <clears throat> I'm just going to do it once more, and then I'm out of here. So he goes, and the old master looks at him, and the old master comes in. Really wonderful. Let's collect wood and make a fire so we can start cooking. So then he's in a dilemma because he was going to get out of there and then his work gets approved. The master keeps looking at him. He's always checking him out. He stays. And he trains with that master for several years. And then the master um, gives him to another teacher to work with. And the master uh, dies. Now I'm a little sketchy about that part of the story. So he trains with the new master. and. During the process of his training, which is many years, he awakens with this new master. But of course, everything counts on the way. And um, there's a special ceremony. And he gets uh, a new robe. And he gets a, a begging bowl, not like as big as the cauldron, you know, the, the begging bowl. <laughs> And he gets this stick with a switch on it, looks like a horse tail, like that. And he gets a new name. The master who fixed the cauldron for the ninth time. <laughs> That's the story. <laughs> and I always say, because it's the last class, at the meditation course. Um, what was that about? <coughs> you can only use one word if you think you can use one word to say what it's about. You. Me? Sure, you. Persistence? Persistence, uh-huh. There's a lot of persistence there. Mm -hmm. 
You can think of nothing else? Edge. Hmm? Edge. Edge. It's about edge? Yeah, I was going to say the edge, but that's too Okay. Hard, so. Okay. Thanks for chipping in. Determination. Who else? Determination. Determination? Mm hmm. Moving on, seeking the best in the hyphenated world. Gokchong, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Non seeking. What did he say? Non seeking. Non seeking? Mm -hmm. Huh. Enough. That's interesting. He gave up. <clears throat> Enough. 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 Love? Enough. Oh, enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh -huh. I think it's all about all of those things. And there was one person whose answer, I didn't say one word, he said, do you realize that guy ran off and left the family cabbage stand? That's just... Irresponsible. That's irresponsible. I was wondering about the cabbages. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways to look at it. In a way, you're all doing fixing cauldron, your own, your own self. And as was that young man through the process, he was on the new road, the new road that isn't the same old habits the same old neural pathways, the same old. It's about fresh, fresh in this very moment. Just as the young man was pretty irritated through the whole process, so our version of that is our pain and our tiredness and our complaining mind and, 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 you know, as we keep working on the cauldron. Yeah. Now, let me just see if I can find my glasses. So, I, I would, um, yeah, I'd like to read to you from this book by Joan Sutherland called Through Forests of Every Color. Some things from the chapter called Stuck and Exhausted. <laughs> this is for inspiration. <laughs> okay. Here it goes. The frustrated student begged Guishan, just tell me. Guishan replied, if I told you, you would resent me later. In other words, you really have to do this yourself. You have to own it. Okay. With any luck, a part of meditation practice, with a, a, a part of meditation you won't be able to avoid is getting well and thoroughly stuck. You'll be in good company because it happens to everyone. If you can feel that sometimes frustrating and hopeless and with no visible way out, it can feel like sometimes frustrating and hopeless with no visible way out. But being stuck is entirely part of the process 
a way to learn something there's no other way to learn. The painful states we feel when stuck come from the failure of our usual strategies. From a meditation perspective, it's good to be in such a state. Because we're about to put down the tools and not fitted to the task and discover the ones that are. Usually, how stuck you are in, is in direct proportion to the importance of what are you, what are you, what you are learning and being shown. When you finally resolve this, you'll really have it. It'll be yours in a way you won't forget. If you're willing to endure this a few times at the beginning you're likely to discover a confidence that will carry you a long way with your meditation practice and perhaps with your life as well. You can hear a hundred teachers and books tell you a hundred times that you already have what you need for awakening within you, but unstick yourself in one situation that's really tough and you'll actually no unsticking for yourself. It's a celebration. Wonderful and wonderful. Don't have to turn over the cauldron again. Yes. Uh, I think that might be enough. No. Let's see what else. Okay, so I learned um, something from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh to just bring this talk to a close, I think to bring it a close. It was when I went to a retreat with my two daughters to um, Santa Barbara, California. And there were about 500 people at the retreat. This is a, Thich Nhat Hanh used to have mega retreats. <laughs> and um, so one of the things, and he, had us all doing calligraphy. Not in one whole big group, but various times in the groups that we were at. And the, the calligraphy was like this. See if you can get it with me. So uh, get, get ready to do some calligraphy. See how I'm doing it forward, you'll be doing it backwards. Okay. Straight horizontal line. And then one vertical line to the horizontal line. And then up on the vertical line, a horizontal line. Yep. And then on that horizontal line, a vertical line. <laughs> and then put a big circle around the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, here's what it means. Stop. Look deeply. And respond. Stop. Look deeply so that you can see clearly to broaden your wisdom of what's going on. 
with you. Today I was talking to Laura and I said, well, she said, what do you think about pain, Haju? How can we deal with this pain? And so I said to her, well, what's your wisdom? She came up with about five things. And she just stopped and she thought about it for herself. So we have to, when things are, shit is hitting the fan, metaphorically speaking, to be able to stop and really look deeply. That's called illumination. You're starting to learn with your meditation practice illumination of wisdom. Sometimes there's a little light, sunlight mixed in there too. And then respond. And that takes a little wisdom too, because a lot of times we react. Old habitual pattern, we react. And this time, changing and responding. Responding is a little more tender than reacting, kinder to ourselves. And it's really important to pause. Because if you pause, you can, you can get the frequency of your Buddha nature. You just pause. And a lot of times, the wisdom will rise from that. I did a lot of, I've done a lot of young injunctions with Sunan, and perhaps in the first 20 years, he did so many things with us because he could see how much pain we were in. I'm only realizing that now, so I just thought it was a bunch of ridiculous things he thought, thought up, but I realized now it was ways to get us embodied. I'll tell you some of the things he did, you'll laugh a little bit maybe. Um, he would have us all lie down on the floor and then in, in pairs, and one person would be on their stomach with their back showing. The other person would give a foot massage on the back. You know, so you did not do a massage with your hands. You took your foot all over someone's back at the back of their legs, their buttocks, then turn over, do the front. And then the other person lie down and get a foot massage with the foot, not the hand, you know. And it was kind of, it was a little... We were giggling, and, uh, and it, but it was a pretty good massage. If a person puts their whole weight of their foot on you, it's just a pretty, it's pretty kind of special. And, uh, so he would do, he would do that, and he would often uh, run us outside in all seasons, and sometimes in bare feet in the snow, and it was excruciating, but it was sure it was invigorating and really changed the pace, you know? And sometimes in hot days, he would give us these sticks to hold. And he said, you know, because it was um, tiring and hot, and here we are in the middle of summer in Chicago, in the middle of summer at a temple, you know? So we'd have these, feel how cool they are, hold the sticks. You know, so sort of a real change of pace. And, oh my gosh, when it was really hot, he would hose us down in Ann Arbor. We would take us outside, and he said, roll up your pants as high as you can get. Take off your top. So, and then he would just 
throw holes in the stone. And inside the back of the Chicago temple, he used to do that in the laundry room. <laughs> Almost like a fire hose. And <laughs> Lots of different ways to get us to be fresh. And some of you might remember other things that, that he would do. So you have to, I think, I'm not going to do fire hose with you. And I don't have any of those sticks. Uh, we, we are going outside tomorrow morning again. But you have to take some initiative to help yourself embody, embodying initiative. It's not trying to think with your brain, coming up with some concepts. Use your body. Get into it. Yeah. There's this, um, the, there's a society of consciousness which came up with this saying, which I thought was Oh, yeah. I can never read my own writing sometimes. Overheard at a Science of Consciousness conference, the ego isn't the captain. It's just the noisiest passenger. <laughs> <laughs> and so when... When you get to be a noisy passenger, you have to drop that and get to the old Buddha nature and your practice, which is the way to get there. So give up being the noisiest passenger <laughs> and get with your Buddha nature. We've all got the Buddha nature. We've all got it. So over and over again, and once again, practice and you shine fresh in this very moment. So we've still got over half the Yunlin Junjun to go. You've got time. Get going with your cauldrons, okay? Yeah. Okay. And where's your energy? Okay. 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 Yeah. See, you really have a lot more energy than you think.